I want to talk about coaching. You mentioned earlier, you discuss in day two, what does it mean to be a coach? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So I like to use the sports analogy a little bit, right? Because I think it's sort of the right metaphor, honestly, right? I mean, um, so there's lots of directions we can go with this, but you know, fundamentally, there's two things. The coach, first of all, their only concern is with the success of their player, right? So it's, that's like the big difference between management, right? I sometimes say, look, like as a manager, do you want to think, you want to think of yourself as the coach of a sports team, not, and this is the trap as like, I, the example I give is like the evaluator at the DMV. So, so your job, like you can think about, imagine how crazy, like you think about a basketball game and there, there's a, the coach calls a timeout. I tell people, you think the coach in the timeout in the huddle is saying things like, yeah, Joel, uh, you know, on that last play, I'm going to rate you like a meets expectations. And Jim, you were like a four out of, no, of course not. Right. Like the huddle is all about, okay, here's what I see. Right. Cause I'm, I'm the coach. I'm on the sidelines. This is what I'm observing. I'm observing that the other team is doing this and this to us. We got to adjust that because, right. So you, you, you're offering a perspective that you see from the sidelines. Right. And then you're also, in addition to that, you know, concerned with the personal development of your players. So this is the other thing, reason I think the sports analogy really, really works. There are a lot of leaders, maybe you're one of them listening to this, that I think only do what I call in-game coaching, right? So again, let's use the basketball team example, right? When you call a timeout, the discussion is 100% focused on what's happening right now in this game. How can we win this game? And I actually think there's a lot of coaches, Joel, that are actually pretty decent at that. They'll say things to me like, well, I'm not, I, got, I don't have an issue, Paul. I'm a good coach. I meet with my employees once a week and we just talk about what's going on that week and I help them through it. I say, yeah, that's an in-game huddle. That's what you're doing there, right? It's like, what's going on this week? How can we get through this firefight, et cetera? The question is, do you have the practice? Like, think about how different the relationship is when the basketball team goes to a practice. That's a different conversation. We're not talking about a particular game. We're talking about what's, what are the long-term trends, right? What are new systems we want to deploy? What are skill gaps that we observe? What's feedback that we can give each other, right? That's what a coach does in a practice. Like they're developing those techniques. And I think that's what I see in tech is a lot of that's what's missing is the, the long-term arc and how to work with people. So like one recommendation I give is you need to meet with your employees once a month. And the rule is no project talk. And people look at me like, what do you mean no project talk? I mean, you can't talk about current deadlines. You can't talk about the fire that's burning with the customer. You can't talk about that, you know, nasty bug du jour, right? It has to be all about the employee's personal development. Where are they going? What are the goals they're making for themselves? What is the feedback they're getting? It's a lot of what I talk about is how to get the feedback angle. So that sort of element one of coaching is folding in, you know, personnel development. The trick of it is, and this we could talk more about this, is how to do it in a way that's not evaluating. Because that's always the other trap people fall into. It's like, well, I'm your boss. And so there's this power relationship that's there. How do we diffuse that? And that's what really ultimately enables a true coaching relationship is, is you know, getting that sort of power structure out of the way. And there are ways to do that. No, I don't know much about sports. <laughs> not a big sports guy. When I saw the sports section, Josh prepped on the interview. I was like, oh, Josh, we got to talk about that. <laughs> I played basketball. I played baseball for eight years. I played football cool. in high school, but I never got into watching and following mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, when I was working on 
my second book, I was working with a writer who was from England and he shared this short story with me about this professional soccer coach, football coach. Right. Mm -hmm. And he won the championship through the, the concept that he just got the best people. Like when they got together, this group of people, the way they played, they weren't known names or anything like that and huge brands, but he, he choreographed the people, the correct people together with the right strengths so that, you know, the, the whole was, you know, greater than the individual. And that's how, that's how they won. So it's not necessarily about who, who has the best players, but it's about which players work best together. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and actually to your point, like this is the big failure we see in hiring, right? By the way, your, my, my three-day program, that's what I teach on day three. We go from leading one-on-one to building teams, right? So the big fail in hiring is we treat each individual hire typically as a siloed event. We're just looking for the best candidate we can find, which again, if you want to use the sports analogy is like saying, okay, every hire, I'm just going to look for the, you know, the player with the best numbers, who's got the best, you know, every hire, I'm just going to find the, the home run hitter, right? It's like, no, we, we should be doing, let's like, you know, the, the money ball things, which you're kind of referring to is we should be thinking about hiring as this more holistic thing. Like what are the skill gaps? What are the, what strategies do we need to employ? What's the team mix that we need? Right. And then, and then once we hire people, then yeah, how do we set them up to succeed and to win? And you're right. The, it's much more about how we set up the team than, than how good our individuals are. I look at it as if this were a movie, which character is missing? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, which character do I need next? You know, because I want to balance the team's, I don't know, spirit. I don't know. I don't have a good word for it. But you just know when you look at it, right? And every team's going to be different and every team has a purpose. And that's why I always have trouble having the conversations about, you know, quotas and people because I'm always thinking, what's the, what's going to be the best to make that team work? And, you know, there has been times at my company, Paul, where it's been all women and just me. And there's been times at the company where it's been all men and just women right now. I don't know the ratio. We're probably <laughs> fairly split, but I never once was trying to uh, pick someone other than like who I think would complete that team. And those teams, they change as people come and go. So it's right. always this moving target. Right. And and that's uh, that's that's the tough part. Right. Getting it, those right people at the right time. It absolutely is, you know, and, and uh, creating, keeping that chemistry. And it's a, it's an ongoing, never ending kind of project. And you now I, I think, Joel, like one of the things I see is we need technical leaders to have the same passion about this kind of topic, how to build the team, how to organize a team. That same energy they have about building tech needs to be applied to building teams. Right. We, we need to see it often. I think, you know, cause let's face it. If you're a technical person, like I am, I'm an engineer at heart, right? My comfort zone. And I think for CTOs as well, this is generally true. The comfort zone is working on the product, right? Like that's, that's the easy part. It's the easy part. Yeah. It's, it's what you're comfortable in. It's what you train for, but we need to sort of balance that energy with everything else we're talking about, which is how am I going to build the team? How's the team organized? What are the frictions in the team? Um, it's funny. I tell people, like I ask people in my training, I said, what do you do when you have a bug in your product? And they kind of look at me like, yeah, like it's obvious. We have a bug tracking system and we prioritize. And oh, by the way, if it's a really hard, if it's a really high priority bug, we create like a little tiger team and that team freaking works day and night until that thing gets resolved. Let's say it's a customer P1, right? I'm like, great. Where's your 
bug tracking system, quote unquote, for organizational issues. And they look at me like, well, we don't have one. It's like, you need to have one. So this is what I mean by we can tailor leadership for technical people. People actually love this idea. I introduced the idea of a organizational backlog. So just like we have a backlog of features and bugs we need to fix, we need to have the same thing. I mean, literally the same thing for our organizational challenges, right? So we can just start writing them down. Like we can have bugs, quote unquote, in the org where like team A and team B don't work well together. That's a bug. Let's go fix that. Let's let's go spend time on it. Let's call meetings on it. Let's have status reporting. Let's have the CTO care about that as much as they do the product. And that's when you get sort of these balanced organizations that start to you know perform well. Have you had a client actually implement that and run it? I have. And it's transformational, right? They're like, oh, yeah, we get it. Um, th- not only that, they, they version. This is where it gets really kind of cool. I had one, one customer start to version how they work. So it's almost like they do sprints. And they're like, they're longer sprints. They're like, it was like a six month sprint. It's like, okay, for example, let's say you're, you don't like your performance review. I had a team that didn't like their performance review process. Very common problem, okay? So what they did is they took the engineer's mentality. They said, all right, let's just call what we have right now version one, because it's just sort of like this performance review process that we've had for years. Then they said, we're gonna try version two. And we're going to do it for a year. And what that did in the team is it actually created a lot of positive culture because <clears throat> the thing about versioning is you acknowledge that you're never done, right? So yeah, there'll be a performance review 2.0. It should be better, right? I mean, hopefully it's better, but if it's not, there'll be a 3.0 and we will fix this thing and we will stick to it. And so you get- Can I patch it in the middle of the year? <laughs> <laughs> right, so well, you know, got to be careful. But, but yeah, like I think- You know, there's no reason we can't use the same muscle we use to build great products towards building great teams. 